Today's passage comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, I just want to say before we begin, uh, the feedback that I got uh, was that the table talks that we've been having every Wednesday uh, is, is really good. We'd like to see more of that. And we're going to try to work it in, maybe not on Wednesday, but maybe on another day. And uh, this coming Wednesday will be our last one. So if you haven't been to one, I really encourage you, at least make it to this last one, and we can do this table talk session together. Also, that being said, I want to welcome back the Philippines team. Welcome back. <laughs> And uh, we've been praying for you. We're so happy that you're back with us, and we can't wait till you share your testimony next week. Uh, Let's pray before we begin. Almighty God, 
In you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word. And give us grace that we may clearly understand and follow the way of your wisdom. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hunger for this heavenly food that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life that we may feast on Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Aid your servant now in bringing forth the word of God that he may glorify you and aid your people to hear these words of life as they are the words of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Greater preachers have claimed to exegete that to exegete this passage that we just read today, you would need about 20 sermons. One preacher said this, and I heard his exegesis, and he fit it into three sessions. And hopefully once we're done today, you will also be able to relate because today's passage is a very familiar par passage. It's a parable that many of you have heard and perhaps heard many times growing up in the church and most certainly have heard of it if you are a student of the Word. And we will go down and dig deep as far as we can into this parable and see what the Word of God says. This begins now with what is known as the third discourse of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew. In this third discourse, we see Jesus give parables. But why? And before we get into that, let me remind you of the parable of the sower itself. And we begin today's passage by saying, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. This is the same day as what just happened before Jesus pronounces judgment on those cities that he traveled and caused them this evil and wicked generation, that same day. It's not a new theme. We have not switched gears. Parables were consistently used as calls to judgment in the Old Testament. Nathan, as one example, when he went to David and told him a parable about the sheep. After David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband, Uriah the Hittite, there are other parables given, just like Gideon's son, Jotham, when he gives a parable about trees and the bramble ruling over the Israelites in Judges 9. And he pronounces judgment on them. How else can we know that these are judgments? Well, it says it in verse 13. This is why, Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. If you think this is just for this particular instant, then wait just until next week when Jesus quotes Psalm 78, which is going to be taught by Pastor Paul. Yay. When Jesus starts the discourse, he isn't moving away from the judgment narrative that we've seen since chapter 9. He's continuing it. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. 
But when you are someone that can heal every disease, seemingly have miracles follow you everywhere you go, you want to at least follow the guy, at least for the show. You want to be entertained. And Jesus was the hot new summer blockbuster movie out right now in theaters near you. You know, Frank, you know that lame guy? He got his spine crushed in that farming accident with the oxen. Well, Frank's friends dragged him to Jesus and boom, he's like playing football again. Not like with two weeks of therapy. He's like playing right now, man. Look, he's over on the other side of that lake and he's playing football. This Jesus guy, he just shut up the Pharisees in two minutes. Two minutes! They ask him to prove himself and he says something about Jonah and Queen Sheba and they couldn't say Jack back to him. I can't wait to see what he does next. And Jesus gets into a boat because there were too many people. Sits down. And everybody is on the beach waiting to see what he does next. And Jesus tells this parable. And it's the most mundane, commonplace, run-of-the-mill, ordinary story, except for one part. And we'll get, that to, we'll get to that too. And we've heard, and he told them many things in parables, saying, and he gives them this parable, a sower goes out to sow, went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds fell along the path, birds came and devoured them, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Remember we went over, whenever Jesus says, he who has ears, we are to perk up our ears because there's something that you are missing, not you might miss, but there's something that you are missing. And you might think, wait, what's so special about this parable? You know, it's nothing new to the people listening. And maybe for some of you, you may be thinking, as you read and heard the story, what? Why is this fool wasting so much seed, right? So let's do some history. A sower's bag carried perhaps about 30 pounds of seed. And 30 pounds of seed was used to seed about a half acre of land. So if you had, let's say, for example, a 60-acre farm, that's 1,800 pounds of seed you would need to lug and spread. Remember, no machines back then, right? And if you think that's wasteful, that's about half the quantity of seed that's normally used today. So if you were to spread seed, could you imagine yourself spreading it like you're in a Disney movie? or you're singing pretty songs, like the hills are alive, and just spinning around, or would you fling it as far and wide as possible? You got a lot of ground to cover. So the people hearing this parable would have been familiar with all the elements of it. Yes, there are beaten paths or roads throughout the farm. People need to walk, right? And yes, there are rocky soil and thorns because plowing doesn't eliminate all of it. And obviously, there's good soil. However, however, 
If you are in the crowd listening to Jesus at the time, that last line would have grabbed you. And it would have gotten your attention. A hundred? Sixty? Thirty times what was sown? That's not possible, Jesus. Maybe he doesn't know farming. The average yield of crop, if it was grain, was about seven point times more than what was sown. And if you had a spectacular harvest, then maybe 10 times what is sown. But 160 and 30? I don't know. And then Jesus ends it by saying, he who has ears, let him hear, drops the mic and leaves. I don't get it. What is he talking about? What's the point of the story? So it's Jesus' disciples who go up to Jesus afterwards and ask him, why do you speak in parables? And this is what Jesus says to his disciples. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given, for to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, and he quotes Isaiah 6. It's Isaiah 6, but with a twist. Can we put up that slide? I have a slide, and I'm, I just put the verses up for us to look at, and I kind of made it um, symmetrical with the line in the middle. Do you guys ever remember doing this uh, like art project in elementary school? You take half of, like a piece of paper, you fold it in half, and on one half you draw this half of a butterfly, or you paint half of a butterfly, and then you fold the paper, and then you open it, and boom, there's a butterfly. But I don't know about you, my butterfly never came out the same. I was like, I stink at art. So whoever was good at it, I always be like, wow, you're so good. How'd you fold it? But it would never come out the same. And what's seemingly like a butterfly, when you fold it down the middle, if you look carefully, is it the same? It's Isaiah 6, but with a twist. It's a fulfillment of the prophecy, but with a but. No one can understand because they are under judgment. Except who? The disciples. Why? Because Jesus. Not one single disciple could claim superiority. What made them so special? And why did they stand out? Nothing on their own. Nothing except that they were called by Jesus and they put their faith in him. They believed him. And so this is what it was said. You will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull and their ears, with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes that they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. That's Isaiah 6. But Jesus adds on, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. The word less that you see in the middle, 
is the Greek word called mepote. It could have two meanings. Mepote can either mean never, like when it's used in Hebrews 9.17, for will takes effect only at death since it's not in force as long as one who made it is alive. That means as long as you're alive, that will will never take into effect. It does not take into effect, right? That's mepote. But it can also mean can be, like can it be? Like in Luke 3.15, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, can he be the Christ? Or in John 7, 26, and here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to it. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? That's Mepote. Mepote is the hinge to a door that shows you whether you are on the outside or you're on the inside. Whether you're at the outside of the house, or whether you're on the inside of the house. And the significant part of the latter part of this poetic structure is what was underlined that you see here, is that, um, and turn and I would heal them. And turn and I will heal them. This prophecy is fulfilled and completed in Jesus Christ. For he is the one that's able to say to his disciples, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. The hinge would also show us that on the other side, we see Jesus giving the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So what's the secret? We can take that off now, because we continue on to verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This, was, this is what was sown along the path. And he starts explaining this parable. But what's missing? What's missing? The sower. There's no mention of the sower because it's not about the sower. What the sower is wearing is not the point of the story. Why then does it seem as if people are consumed today with what the sower is wearing. Ripped jeans and a $200 t-shirt, that's my kind of sower. A full-on suit, that's my kind of sower. We put so much emphasis on the sower and how the sower looked or dressed. If we do, then we can safely assume that this guy probably doesn't have real seed because What identifies a sower? What is the primary characteristic that identifies a sower? If he or she has seed. If you have seed, then that's it. At the heart of the understanding of the sower, we understand that this is what we must all do. Men, women, all who believe in Jesus Christ, the church is called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. The church is not called into morality, It is not called into politics. It is called to the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And it can be frustrating. Many times it won't seem like it's working. Then we as humans start to think, what's the problem here? How can I fix it? Maybe we could get our music more relevant. That'll fix it. Maybe we could spruce up the joint, get some candles and things. That'll fix it. 
Maybe the preacher should tell more jokes. I hear he likes telling jokes. That'll make it more relatable. That'll fix it. Or we start thinking, maybe it's the seed. Why does it seem like it's the same old message? Let's change it to make it funnier, wiser, better. Can we make it look more like a TED Talk or cool like an Apple product announcement? However, if you change the seed, you've corrupted it. It is no longer a seed. A mutated gospel is no gospel. The seed is perfect because the seed is the word of God. The issue is not with the sower. The issue is not with the seed. It's with the soil. The issue is with the heart. The variable here in this story is the soil. It's about the condition of the heart. And if you think for one second that you can do something about the soil, think again. If you think that you can do something about the soil, then think again. The sower is faithful when he sows the seed, but only God can plow the heart. This is a testament to the sovereignty of God and the beauty of evangelism because our assurance is that God is completely sovereign. There's a great book I'd like to recommend. It's called The Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. He goes into this at length. But because God is sovereign, we have the assurance that our evangelism will be fruitful. So what is the first kind of soil? It's the path. It's the one that comes and hears God's word and doesn't understand it. The gospel never penetrates the heart. And so Satan comes and snatches away the seed. And they are so long past the point of grace that the seed now just bounces right off of them. The gospel does nothing to them. It makes them drowsy. It makes them bored. It makes them think about what's going to go on after this. How much time has passed? Is it time for lunch yet? And Satan takes it away. Your heart is so exposed to the elements where anyone can come and trample and stomp on it. It's not protected, it's not fenced off, and it's not separated from the world. So in the end, it responds to neither the wooings of the Lord or the terrors of his judgment. You know those people. They are definitely out there. But more importantly, is this you? Have you let sin so easily come into your heart so that it continues to day in and day out trample on your heart. So there is no fear of God in you, and his loving kindness means nothing. Is this you? Because then you are here, we deposit the seed, and even before you leave this building, it's gone. If you're so comfortable where you are, dancing with sin, Getting into bed every night with bitterness, that's a scary place to be. Cry out to God to plow hard. The second kind of soil is the rocky soil. 
As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is the person that received the gospel, but when the sun came up, it withered away because it couldn't grow deep roots. So what characterizes this soil? And the characterization that you see here is receives it with joy. Receives it with joy is purely an emotional response. This is not to say emotions are not present in your response in receiving the gospel. But when it's the only characteristic of your response, then you might be on rocky soil. This is the person who is overly emotional, usually during the music, but maybe during the message, but it's only on a surface level. It's shallow. When they first received the gospel, they were so happy, but now they're nowhere to be seen. And you might be confused. How come? I remember this person overjoyed in their so-called conversion. Shouldn't there be joy in your conversion? Pastor Eugene, shouldn't there be joy in your conversion, though? Well, should there be? That's a good question. We go to Psalm 51.7. This is what the sacrifice that God wants, a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And I would ask, where's that? When the Holy Spirit first comes into your heart, your heart is rent by the sins you committed against God. This is what James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Joy comes after the Lord lifts you up, but it is succeeded after the humbling, the weeping, and mourning over your sins. There must be genuine repentance for there to be genuine conversion. What I'm about to tell you, tell you <laughs> makes me very emotional because this is real. Um, I've been to Japan for maybe seven, eight years. And then one time we were at the park. And I forgot exactly which park and we were at the team. And people were doing their own thing. It's like, do your own kind of evangelism. And there were like love tunnels made. Not the ones that you are thinking of. It's, it's some, you know, I don't know. And then people will go in. Everybody's excited. And People are like playing music, and we're just at the park, and all these Japanese people are walking by. What are all these weirdos doing? And at one point, uh, a group, a group that we were with, comes like embracing a Japanese guy. And he's like, "Everybody, rejoice!" He says that he wants to receive Jesus Christ, and there were about fifty of us. And everybody just let out an elated shout. Woo! Like, yeah! Not that aggressive, but it was like, yeah, like, yeah, yay, like that, okay? <laughs> and I was standing there just watching. And I was praying. It's like, what did they share that this person they consider is a Christian? So they asked him, do you want to believe in Jesus Christ? And he just goes, yeah. And that's what made them think he is now a convert. 
there was no sharing of the full gospel that we were created in God's image and yet we fell. And because we fell, we were sinners. We we're enemies of God. And there's no way to bridge that gap, but God didn't let us alone in his great mercy and love. He came down from heaven to save us. And if we place our trust in him, he now picks us up and now we are saved. We must repent of our sins and turn to Jesus Christ. Is the Holy Spirit doing that work in you? Instead of asking that, it's like, hey, you want to believe in Jesus? You want to hang out with us? We're cool. We're playing music. Look at us. We're chilling. And he wanted a friend. He wanted a friend. And so immediately I went up to the leaders and said, plug this guy into a church, please. He's like, ah, maybe we'll find a church. We'll try. And I've been there year after year. I never saw the guy again. He just wanted a friend. If all we see are emotional appeals to the heart, if all we see now in our evangelism are testimonies, and that's it, you're not spreading the seed. Testimonies are not the gospel. They're great tools to accompany the gospel, but they will never replace the gospel. And you know what burns them up? Suffering, persecution. How do you know that you have no roots? Because when persecution comes, you fall away. So cry out to God to plow deep. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This thorn bush, the word that's used, was the same thorns to use to make uh, the crown of thorns they put on our Lord's head. This is the person who wants Christ, wants salvation. They want heaven. Genuinely, they do. But they also want riches. They want things, and they want the world. This is the double-minded. This is the one that serves God and also serves money. And Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. And James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is the person who says, I can't follow you now because first I have to make some money. I'll follow you later, Jesus. I can't follow you now. I have to bury my father, get his inheritance, be a little more secure in my finances, then I'll follow you. I can't follow you now because I have to finish school. There's a lot of studying. My schedule's crazy. I can't follow you now because I need to get married first. If I follow you now, I might never get married. I can't follow you now because I have to have a kid first. I can't follow and obey you now because I need to raise my kids. I can't follow you now because I need to save up for retirement. This is the person that asks, why can't I just live life to the fullest now and repent later? Like right before I die. 
If Jesus isn't the most beautiful thing to you right now, what makes you think he will be later? Especially, especially after you've given yourself over and over and over to the lusts and sins of the world. And your eyesight gets dimmer and dimmer. How can you be sure you will be able to recognize him? This is faulty logic, but let's play out that scenario because it's so popular. And I would say, oh, you want to just repent at the end. You want to live life now. Make a minimum deposit. Come out to Sunday once a week, minimum, but everything else. Best life now. Let's play out that scenario. What if there's a chance? What if there's a chance? Play along with me that you die before you get to repent. So while you're living your best life now, you get hit by a bus, instant death, no time to say the sinner's prayer, right? Would you gamble with eternity with, let's say, a 10% chance? 20% chance? 30, 40, 50? What's the saying about casinos? The house always wins. Who are you betting against here? Satan? God? When you're enticed by the world, Jesus shows us that the word is choked out and you produce no fruit. There is a 0% chance. Let me tell you about someone who loved Jesus, preached about Jesus, followed him, and did miracles, but also loved the world, and loved status, and loved money. His name is Judas Iscariot. Cry out to God to plow and destroy the thorns. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. And if you hear this and understand it, the promise is that you will bear supernatural fruit. Remember that 10 times was considered a stupendous harvest. 160, 30 times is then supernatural. That means that God is the one that will make it grow and bear fruit. Not every disciple will bear the same amount of fruit, but every disciple will bear fruit and it will be a miraculous amount. This is something that is not understood by the world. This supernatural multiplication is by the work of God, and it is present in every single believer. How can we be assured of this? Well, it's in God's word. It's shown to us in God's word. Furthermore, we see that it is shown to us in the life of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's this Word that comes to us, and it is planted. And Jesus Christ himself says in John chapter 12, Truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into to the earth and dies, it remains alone. 
but if it dies, it bears much fruit. The security and the assurance and the promise is given to us by Jesus Christ himself. I'll end with a quote by C.H. Spurgeon, who on this topic said this, How do you know that you're on good soil? Is there one who prays within himself, God be merciful to me, a sinner? The seed has fallen in the right spot. Soul, thy prayer shall be heard. God never sets a man longing for mercy without intending to give it. Does another whisper, Oh, that I might be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou, even thou, shalt be saved. Hast thou been the chief of sinners? Trust Christ, and thy enormous sins shall vanish as the millstone sinks beneath the flood. Is there no one here that will trust the Savior? Can it be possible that the Spirit is entirely absent? that he is not moving in one soul, not begetting life in one spirit, we will pray that he may now descend, that the word may not be in vain. Let's pray. And Lord, just as the word has been spread, we pray that you would plow our hearts that we, our hearts would be good soil. This is an impossible thing. We're envious. We lust after the things of the world. We want the easy, comfortable life. We want to just be marred by sin. And so, Lord, do a miraculous work in our heart so that our hearts would be good soil for your word to be planted. This is an impossible work for us. And so, we beseech you, we implore you, God, do a work in our hearts. Let's take this time to pray. And ask the Lord, if there is anything hardened in your heart, if there is any thorn springing up, if your soil is so shallow, you're not even sure if you could last a second of persecution, ask God to plow your heart, that the seed may be planted, grow deep roots, and bear the fruit that he promises. Let's pray.